Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm reporter Mary Jo Pitzel. I'm filling in for the vacationing Michael Squires, who reportedly is driving around somewhere in the Grand Tetons. Joining me at our Capitol Bureau this week are... Yvonne Winget sanchez I cover the governor's office and state politics. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Jessica Baim, I cover the city of Mesa and the town of Gilbert. This week on The Gaggle, we'll get some insight on a legislative strategy conference and what it could mean for Arizona's legislature. We'll examine the curious case of Mesa Councilman Ryan Winkle's DUI plea deal. We'll talk about what the Attorney General found after more than a year of looking at former House Speaker David Gowan's travel practices. But we start with Senator John McCain's vote on health care days after announcing his cancer diagnosis. Ron, bring us up to speed on the Senator's return to Washington and his floor speech that he made this week. Senator McCain was able to uh, really set aside the medical concerns that have uh, trailed him for the past week after he learned he has brain cancer and was able to help break uh, some of the stalemate concerns that existed in the Senate um, regarding whether the Senate could even proceed to debate the health care bills that are in play in that chamber. And he made, um, I think, kind of an emotional, stirring appearance. A lot of folks on both sides of the aisle were genuinely glad to see him. And he in, used that moment to sort of call on, on the chamber as a whole and, and Washington more broadly to think in a more bipartisan way, search for compromise, set aside some of their differences, and really look past some of the uh, the practices that have become so ingrained in, in recent years, and especially now during the Trump administration. He clearly spoke about the Senate being co-equal branch of government uh, as part of, of this sort of uh, check on the executive power. So it was, um, I think, an emotional appearance. It was uh, the kind of speech that will be remembered uh, as part of his, his extended political career. This will be one of the highlights, I'm sure. And it's it comes at a very uh, precarious time. Why did McCain return to D.C. and what was his vote regarding health care? Republican leaders were really struggling to find a way forward. What they came up with is an idea to essentially open the floor up, consider several different bills and amend them as they need. Um, to do that, though, they first have to get over uh, a motion to proceed. It's really a kind of a procedural vote that allows them to then take up whatever comes up after that. And it was a close vote. Vice President Pence was there to cast the deciding vote. So McCain's presence was necessary. Judging by some of the immediate comments after McCain's speech, it appears that there are some questions about, yes, he broke a log jam, but now he's opened the door to something that may not be bipartisan. What are you seeing and hearing from the senator's message and some of the social media response? Well, I think some of the immediate response from the folks who know the senator really well um, was appreciative of what he did. They, they found it in keeping with his extended political career as bio, really. His critics, whether they're Democrats or people who just care about health care, looked at it saying, by allowing this debate to unfold the way that it will now, you've really sort of undermined the regular process of legislating that you've now asked them to undertake. So it's a critical issue. There's a lot of 
people who will depend on uh, the healthcare legislation that emerges from all this and the impassioned pleas for bipartisanship and and searching for you know some kind of middle ground is all well and good. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people whose lives may hang in the balance. We spent some time talking with Grant Woods, the former attorney general, who's very close to uh, Senator McCain. And, you know, from from his point of view, they they spent last weekend together. I should note, he said, you know, he spent a lot of time thinking about this speech, thinking about what he might say um, if he were to return to D.C. And um, this is someone who has had a 30 year career. He's seen a lot. He's been a prisoner of war. He has been there for instances of bipartisanship and instances of gridlock. And right now, Wood said for him, this was a time for him to stand up and say something that the country, in his view, really needed to hear, that it was really time to put the the politics aside and to try to work together together for the betterment of the people. And at the same time, he was trying to deliver a message to Donald Trump that this was, is a co-equal branch of the government and he can't um, dictate policy on his own. What are the chances that the Senate will follow McCain's advice to work in a bipartisan manner? Well, depends on who you talk to probably not very good. Yeah, this issue is just so freighted with um, partisan side taking. I think there's a lot of um, very ingrained interests in this that suggests that it's going to be hard to find true middle ground. It's, It's going to be difficult to ask Democrats to go along with policies that, you know, according to the best estimates, would result in a net loss of coverage on the order of millions. Um, it's hard to tell Republicans to walk away from something that could in, result in savings to the federal spending over the next decade. So uh, folks have strong feelings on this, and this will really test how, how well received that message truly was. The enduring uh, import of the McCain speech might be that it emboldens Republicans to stand up to Trump on some stronger basis. What we see unfolding in the backdrop at the same time now is the way the president is really going after his own attorney general and sort of uh, questioning his uh, his fitness to stay in that position. And I I think that McCain is sort of maybe trying to create some space for Republicans to say, even though this is a Republican president, there are bigger stakes uh, on the table here. And so maybe health care doesn't turn out in some bipartisan way, but we might see it manifest itself in some other area. Get the latest Arizona political news by subscribing to azcentral.com. Get our free email newsletter delivered to your inbox by visiting newsletters.azcentral.com. Yvonne, you uh, were at the American Legislative Exchange Council conference last week. That's a group that uh, is corporate-sponsored. They work on a lot of model legislation that is shared with legislatures, almost always promoted by Republican lawmakers to the ire of Democrats. You're back from the Mile High City in Denver. Um, Now that you've decompressed a bit, what happened at this conference and what might be coming in um, our next legislative session in Arizona? 
Arizona does play quite the role in this confab. There were about 1,400 conservatives from across the country gathered uh, in downtown Denver for the event, and that included lawmakers, policymakers, nonprofit representatives, a lot of lobbyists, a lot of corporate interests there. And reporters typically have not been welcome to this uh, conference, although in recent years, Alec has made some of the workshops public. Um, the most fascinating part is still done behind closed doors, and that is, of course, where model legislation is adopted. Representatives from corporations uh, carry as equal of a vote as lawmakers do in these sessions, and so they go behind closed doors in these task forces to discuss legislation or policies that have worked in states and what hasn't worked, and, and then one by one, whether it be technology or energy or opioids or federalism issues, they will adopt model legislation and eventually those are to be made public. Now what is would be really interesting is if they made the draft legislation public. And of course, you won't see the light of day unless they're leaked to you. Were you able to hover outside uh, any of those closed doors and pick up any information? I picked up quite about 25 pounds worth of Alec material, sorry, Gannett, <laughs> for that $100 heavy bag fee. And, and I was able to get some model legislation. The They have bodyguards. I, well, I shouldn't say bodyguards. Alec guards, people there who are just guarding the doors to make sure that only credentialed members get into the task forces. They do let you in the, the workshops, though, and those were very fascinating. We had members of Arizona's uh, legislative um, delegation there, including Rep. Lawrence at a school choice, uh, very high profile school choice workshop. Um, Sean Noble and Seth Liebson of Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy. They were responsible for helping kill recreational marijuana last year. They were there putting on a panel to folks about how to best message opioid prevention and opioid treatment messages. That was fascinating. And then, of course, on stage, Arizona had a good representation. Senator Debbie Lesko, who is the prime sponsor of the school voucher expansion bill, very controversial bill, she interviewed uh, Betsy DeVos, the U.S. Education Secretary, on stage for about 15 minutes. She's seen as a rock star in this group. She was getting lots of congratulatory, you know, hugs and um, remarks from her colleagues from across the country after that. I've got to ask any tough questions from Senator Lesko to Secretary DeVos. There were not very many tough questions. She did seem to have a pointed question, and perhaps for the Arizona Republic, if I could be so bold, she did ask Betsy DeVos if she thought that uh, wealthy families benefited more than low-income families because of school vouchers, and that has been a big topic that we have been covering, Rob Adele and I have been covering over the, the past couple of years. And of course, DeVos said no, that that's a false narrative being pushed by people who oppose it. You've been reporting on the uh, financial impact of the ESA legislation. What have you found? Sure. I've been working on this story with uh, reporter Rob O'Dell for a couple of years now. And what we've consistently found over those two years is that families from higher income areas are using the school voucher program more than families from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And um, it's been consistent here. It's been consistent elsewhere. The state does not require um, that you meet certain level incomes in order to qualify for the state. Get the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com delivered to your door, phone, and inbox by visiting subscribe.azcentral.com.
coming back home to Arizona uh, last week, the Attorney General finally released the results of a very long probe into the travel policies of the former House Speaker David Gowan. That report concluded that there was not evidence to produce a conviction of fraud or misuse of state dollars, even though Gowan himself reimbursed the state $12,000 for what he said were inadvertent mistakes in travel policy. What do you read out of this, and is there more to come? It sounds from, based on your reporting and conversations we've had with uh, sources, that more is to come, that, that there is another investigation on the potential destruction of public records tied to this inquiry. Uh, you know, skeptics might say, well, gee, maybe there was enough to uh, prosecute him or go after him, but uh, and I haven't looked at the evidence. I'm not sure, and I'm not an attorney, so... I think this does underscore, though, the difference between what you need to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal context and something that is judged in the court of public opinion. This is behavior that went pretty far off the tracks. And based on the financial disclosures that we've seen for the Gowan household, this money finding its way into their account would be hard for them to miss. And for it to have gone on as long as it did also is sort of hard to fathom at this point. So we'll see if there's political consequences. The, the law is the law, and it certainly doesn't suggest that there's uh, any great risk-taking by the attorney general's office on this, but the public is free to reach its own conclusions. And who did Gowan uh, blame for this reporting error? According to the report, Gowan blames his administrative assistant. Apparently, even though she sits right outside or used to sit right outside of his office, they didn't communicate very much. So there was a lot of guessing that was done as she filled out his expense reports um, absent any input from him. At the end of the day, the attorney general's report, as Ron was saying, does you know said this is hard to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Their conclusion is that this may have been unethical conduct, but it was not criminal. Yet to come, they are still looking into a, a public records complaint that grew out of this examination. We're told that might be coming up um, in coming weeks, so we'll be watching for that. Do we know in more detail what they're looking at with that investigation? It's a lot of records that pertain to the speaker's travel and some of the other people in his coterie that traveled with him, such as um, other members of leadership. There are some questions about whether everybody was forthcoming in the documents that were produced in response to the attorney general's probe. And that would be very curious because this whole investigation was actually brought on by Gowan himself, who went to the attorney general and said, investigate me. By the way, Speaker Gowan or former Speaker Gowan has welcomed the findings of this, called them predictable but welcome. And we should note that there's a legacy here. The House has already changed its travel policy to make it much more difficult for anything like this to happen. And Mr. Gowan is pursuing a bid for the state Senate, which has not changed its travel policy. And next, we travel to the East Valley, where we have the continuing saga of Mesa Councilman Ryan Winkle. Jessica, bring us up to speed. And what is the pickle that he is in? A lot has happened in the last few months since Mesa Councilman Ryan Winkle was arrested in Tempe on May 7th in the early morning hours. Police say that he almost hit three pedestrians who were crossing the street in Tempe. 
and he was arrested on suspicion of DUI. In the body camera footage that we watched of his encounter with Tempe police, he denies drinking multiple times while his wife is asking police officers to actually let them go or give them some kind of preferential treatment because her husband is a big fan of public safety in Mesa as a councilman. That has come back to haunt both of them. At this point, we have now found that his blood alcohol level that night was 0.22%, which is nearly three times the legal limit. Last week, he accepted a plea agreement pleading down to just an extreme DUI level as opposed to the super extreme level, which means you have a 0.2 blood alcohol content or higher. And he accepted six days in jail and 49 days of home detention. But Jessica, your reporting shows that although that sounds um, that sounds like a pretty good punishment, that's actually way off the charts compared to many people who get a similar charge. Exactly. Basically, from the lawyers that I have spoken with, you are usually looking at three or four days in jail, five to nine days home detention. He says that he is accepting this plea agreement because it is what is offered, what was offered to him by the city of Tempe. And he wanted to quickly end this legal process so he can get back and start serving the community again. Tempe, they would not answer my questions as to why his plea agreement was so much higher than you would generally ex- expect. Um, they could be taking into account that this is his second DUI. Technically, under the law, that shouldn't be taken into account because his last DUI was more than seven years ago. So again, with the court of public opinion, most people probably don't care how long ago it was, but in the actual court, that does matter. So Councilman Winkle then has accepted this penalty and he's already serving it out. I think you said he had some observations about where he's been spending some of his time. He sure did. I actually spoke with him from jail And he is at Tent City, and he mentioned to me that Tent City is actually a lot nicer than he remembered it from about eight years ago when he was there. He actually gave a little shout out to uh, Paul Penzone, our new sheriff, and said that things are much cleaner, it's much more organized, and the detention officers are much nicer than he remembers. Well, there's an endorsement for anybody that's thinking about going to Tent City. I will note uh, one other development in the news last week. Um, Unlike Councilman Winkle, who seemed to want to get this behind him pretty quickly, it took State Representative Jesus Ruicalva quite some time to decide that maybe he should step out of the arena. He resigned his state legislative seat um, as the Citizens Clean Elections Commission is doing an investigation into what looked like some pretty questionable campaign uh, expenses that he's done with public money. Uh, do we have any idea when Rubicalva's replacement will come? And does this make much of a difference in terms of the, the makeup at the legislature? The Board of Supervisors, uh, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, will have to convene and appoint a new lawmaker. It has to be a lawmaker from the same party, so it won't change the partisan politics down at the state capitol. Meanwhile, the uh, investigation into his campaign finance spending does continue. The only thing his resignation signals is that the commission can't bump him out of office, as they have done with a couple of other politicians. For our final segment, what are you watching for this week? 
Jessica. Well, I'll be continuing to watch Ryan Winkle's journey. Uh, Now that the legal process is over, there is another disciplinary process going on in the city council. And we actually just found out this week that so far the city has paid more than $36,000 for outside counsel to carry out this disciplinary process. And that's just the first two months. There's two months to go. So we will continue watching that. More dollars to come. Ron? I'm interested in what the House does with uh, President Trump's request for funding for the border wall. So a $1.6 billion uh, food fight at the House. And Yvonne? I'm hearing murmurings that a legal challenge could be mounted if Save Our Schools Arizona, which is the group that is fighting expansion of school vouchers, uh, if they get their signatures. So I'm hoping to get some public records to shed more light on what that legal battle might look like. Might they be trying to throw out signatures? We'll see. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. I'm at J. Bame. That's B-O-E-H-M underscore news. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. And you can follow me at Yvonne Winget. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Kayla White, Hannah Gaber, and Manny Lozano. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.